can't believe some of you were still reading that by the end. Um, <coughs> my name's Clint. Um, if, you, yeah, if you're here for the first time, um, you've come across two small churches gathering together uh, for the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. Um, and I'm part of the church Frio mob. Um, and I, yeah, I just want to say thanks uh, so much to the village folk, um, or whatever you are calling yourselves in the interim, um, yeah, for, for hosting us and for having us here. Um, yeah, really appreciate your generosity um, and, and for having us. I know it's been good for us as we wrestle through um, and continue to wrestle with what does it look like to be a church and how to do church and, and that sort of stuff. But it's been really good for us. Um, and I hope it's been good for you guys as well. I know it's probably not been good for your biscuit budget with our kids <laughs> kind of attacking <laughs> the biscuits at morning tea. But, um, but yeah, so for the last few weeks, um, Lee's walked us through and helped us to reflect on, on hope and on, on joy and on peace. Uh, in, in the in-between times, in the here-not-yet, that sort of tension time, the, the period after Jesus came, and when he came, he, he brought the kingdom of God, and he kicked it off, um, but it's not here fully yet. Um, and it, so it's, we're sort of stuck in that in-between time be, between when it starts in the here and now, but it's not fully here yet. Um, and it's a tricky time. It's a really difficult time, I think. Um, it's often a paradoxical time. Um, as we try to live out the implications of the kingdom of God, um, as broken people with broken bodies and minds in a broken, in a very broken world, trying to live out perfection um, and the way that the way that God designed life to be. Um, but while it's a really hard time, it's also a very um, a very hopeful time, I believe, um, where we get. Um, it's not an optimistic time. I think hope and optimism are two very different things. But it's a very hopeful time uh, and a joyful time. I think when we get get to have glimpses and little tastes and. And, uh, and, and small snapshots of, of life as it's meant to be, the way that God designed it. Um, and we see some of that beauty once in a while. And this morning we're looking at love, which is the fourth kind of tensioned taste of the kingdom of God, um, which is really the sum and the starting place, I think, of the, of the previous three that we've looked at, um, hope, joy, and, and peace. And you really couldn't find um, an, an easier or a harder topic to teach on, really, um, easier in that there's just so much biblical material on the topic and that's essentially the whole kind of sum of the, that's the whole driver for the, for, for the, for the biblical narrative. Um, but harder in that my interpretation of, of what it means to love and be loved is also broken and warped uh, and is partly shaped by my experiences and perception of what, of what that is. And, and so this morning, perhaps ironically, but maybe um, appropriately, um, I think um, this is very much a work in the here, not yet, um, of where, where we wrestle with what it means uh, to love and be loved in light of what we know of God and, and Jesus. And so I ask that you guys would continue to help me as to shape my perceptions and understanding of that, um, of what it means to love and be loved. But in saying that, there's a whole heap of uh, a whole heap of biblical gold to be mined, and I hope we can uncover a little bit of that this morning and reflect on it. Um, yeah, I hope it'll be good for us that, that we can, um, as, as Shirley read out this morning, that we can consider how to spur one another on towards love and love and good deeds. I hope we can do that this morning. So I'd just like to pray for us, um, if I can, before we jump into it. Um, yeah, dear God, uh, thank you for this time. Um, and thank you for, for your spirit. Um, thank you for your word uh, and the hope um, that it gives us. Um, and I, yeah, First, I just ask that as we look at this, Lord, um, that, yeah, that the things that are of you, we'd remember that, 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 that we'd be, yeah, that folks who need to be challenged would be challenged, that folks who need to be encouraged 
would be strongly encouraged, Lord. Um, but I pray that, above all, Lord, that, that we'd leave um, with, a, with a reminder or a deeper understanding of your love um, and, and, and that we'd be able to leave steeped in that love, Lord, and that we'd be able to act out of that. So I just ask for your blessing on us as we look at this, Lord. You're a good God and we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, so I want to kind of start with reflecting on that Psalm 136 <coughs> that we just read out together. Um, ironically, two of my least favorite Psalms as a kid growing up, which was Psalm 136 and Psalm 119, which is that really crazy long one. Um, th- those were kind of my two least favorite as a kid. They're probably some of my favorites, among my favorites now. Um, but I graded against the repetition uh, in Psalm 136, just that repeated line. Um, 26 times it repeats, his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, and I remember as a kid thinking that, that that psalm just seemed to be steadfast and enduring forever. It just kind of goes on and on. Um, but I think the repeating of that phrase is actually what's really beautiful about it. Um, and I've come to appreciate that a bit more. Um, in, in the Jewish mind, the, the numerical value, and Steve can correct me on this later if I'm wrong, but 26 was the, the, the numerical value of the name Yahweh, of the name given to God or that, that, that God revealed himself as. Um, and so there's this kind of link, this very Jewish kind of link, I think, um, kind of underneath and through the song of, of, of a, a revelation of who God is through the repetition of this in 26 times. Yahweh doesn't just love, he is steadfast and enduring love. Um, and for those who are familiar with the New Testament, those three letters of John right towards the back um, are basically uh, right there in this psalm. I think, um, in that repetition, but we'll come back to that a bit later. But it's also profound, and I think it's good for us, because it insists on kind of drilling into us this notion, or the truth, it's not a notion, the truth, that God does actually indeed love us and delights in us. Um, He cherishes us, that he always has done and always will do, regardless of who we are or what we've done. He'll never give up on loving us. He never does give up on loving us, and there's no kind of chess maneuver or something that you can do to kind of outwit him on that or, or, or outdo him on that. Um, and that's a narrative that many of us, I think, if not all of us, need to hear. Um, we need to have that drilled into us because we're so quick, so quick, I think, um, to think that by this action or by this thought or by this deed um, or, or, or by my, my repeated failing, God will somehow come to the end of his rope and say, you've, you've done it. Like, you, you've got to the end of it and, I've, and I'm going to have to let you loose. Um, But that's because we tend to project our way of loving onto God and then think that he loves in the way that we love. Um, And and so we get worried that he'll withdraw his love um, in the same way that we withdraw our love from people who repeatedly fail or or hurt us. Um, We tend to think that that, that God will kind of limit his love as we tend to limit our love to people who are difficult or who rub us up the wrong way or who think differently or do life differently than us. Um, or, he'll, or, or, or that he'll take a break from loving us, as we often take a break from people who, are, who we find hard or difficult to love. Um, and all the more so if God does indeed know all of our ugly bits and our hidden bits that the rest of, that other people don't see. Um, if people who don't see our hidden bits are fickle with their love towards us, um, if we're fickle in our love towards people who we don't know their ugly parts, how much more should God then be fickle if he knows us intimately and exactly um, who we are? And so I think we need to hear um, that his love is steadfast and that it's immovable. 
uh, and that his, his steadfast love endures, that it's long-suffering, and that his steadfast love endures forever, um, as far as time stretches in both directions, if you like, your time in a linear way. Um, that, that steadfast, enduring, forever love is his middle name. That, that's who he is. That's his fundamental characteristic. Um, and I think we need to hear that a proverbial 26 times uh, because we tend to pass over it. I still struggle to believe deep down that God loves me unconditionally. Uh, and, and that shapes the way that I do life. And I'll look at that a bit later. Um, I still hold a kind of, but what if, kind of about the way that God loves and I think, I think the repeating of that phrase in Psalm 136 is a, is a really healthy tonic to all the messages that we do get from, from our tellies and social media, from, from, from our relationships at work and family and friends. Um, that, that, that kind of narrative that we would be a little bit more lovable if we just bought this product or if we lived life this way or if we voted for that person, if we, if we did a bit more or if we did a bit less or if we worked a bit harder or we worked a little bit less. Um, if we spent a bit more or spend a bit less, or if we reach these targets or if we hit completely different targets, we, get that we repeatedly get these conflicting messages about um, that, that we would be more lovable if we just did these things. Um, but they're lies. Um, they're absolute lies. Because you're lovable because God loves you, not because of who you are or what you do. He loves you with a steadfast love that endures forever. And in fact, if anything, God... If God does have a bias towards a particular demographic, it's to the people on the outside, it's to the losers, it's to the, to the orphan, the widow and the stranger in the land, it's to the outcast. Um, and we'll touch on that a bit later. But you're lovable because God doesn't make unlovable, inadequate people. You're lovable because he loves you. Uh, and his love's not changing. So his love towards you won't change. Um, you're lovable because he lovingly crafted you. He, he created you, he cares for you, he, de- he delights in you. I think I find that hard to believe. I believe that he can love me in a, begr- in a kind of begrudging, I better love this guy because I have to love everyone and he's one of the everyones. Um, but he actually delights in, in you. He, 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 he sees your uniqueness and your beauty and your gifts, the, the nuances that make you, you. And he says, I love that. And he celebrates it. Uh, and he's joyful about it. So you are loved um, with a steadfast love that endures forever by no one less than the creator of the universe. And I think that's something pretty amazing. Um, I think many of you need to hear that because you think uh, fundamentally down, deep down in your belly that you're worthless and unlovable, um, that you've stuffed up one too many times or that because you can't shake that particular sin um, or because you think uh, you've done or you've said some things that are so horrendous or so despicable or just detestable that even God's love can't kind of endure that, can't handle that. And you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. God has always loved you. He always will. Uh, Even if you don't, and even if others don't love you, God's love is steadfast and it endures forever towards you. And perhaps some of you are at the other end of the spectrum, because that's true as well. Uh, And you need to hear that God loves you with a steadfast, forever and enduring love, because you spend too much of your time trying to do the right thing and trying to win his favour. Win him over, keep him in the good books. Um, and that's usually more probably driven by pride or by fear or something like that. Pride that you're good enough and so God better kind of love you and so you've earned it and he better love you. Um, or, or, or that you have a fear of failing him. It's, it's more of a terror of hell that kind of drives you to, to, to try to do the right thing rather than a love for God. I know I've, I've lived that for a long time. Uh, and so it's not love that drives you to attempt life God's way, but a fear that he'll withdraw his favour from you if you do 
anything other than that. And so you're always stressing about saying the right thing, doing the right thing, um, being pure and holy and righteous in front of other people. But the actual driver for that is a fear of losing God's love um, rather than that action being sort of driven by a deep-seated knowledge of, of, of God's unfailing love towards you. And if that's you, you too need to hear that God's steadfast love endures forever towards you. Um, it's, it always has, it always will. Um, whether you do good things or not, whether you say or think, act righteously or not. Um, I don't know about you, but most days I sort of have a foot in both of those camps, where I, I either <coughs> sort of somewhere between despair and a desperate flurry of, of moral actions to try to keep God happy. Uh, maybe you do, but wherever you are, um, I think it's likely that all of us probably need to hear that message uh, repeatedly, um, that God's love towards you is unconditional, it's immovable, it's not going anywhere. It's persistent, it's patient, long-suffering, and it's set in eternity. He doesn't do it begrudgingly, he just loves you. And what I think is really beautiful about Psalm 36 is that it, it has that refrain in between uh, the narrative or, 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 or looking, or a, a historical account of Israel's story. And I think that's profound. Um, in reflecting on Israel's kind of roller coaster ride of, of you know, starting off as these slaves under Pharaoh and then hanging out in the desert and then going back to the desert for another round and whinging and complaining there and then finally ending up in, uh, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Between each chapter and verse of that story um, is the sort of one constant through their tumultuous history is God's steadfast love enduring forever. That's how the songwriter viewed their history. And if you look at the first nine verses, he goes even further back and says, he talks about the creation narrative and says God's steadfast love was at that place. And, he ha and even before that, he says God's steadfast love endures forever. It's been like that forever. It's not, we're not going anywhere. But the dominant theme throughout Israel's story and even before Israel's story, um, despite all their waywardness, their hard-heartedness, their stuff-ups, their moments of shame and glory, the, the one kind of constant that's woven throughout that is, is God's loving embrace that never gave up, never moved anywhere. Um, I have immense respect, I think, for the way that, that the Jews have recorded their history. <coughs> um, <coughs> if, you, if you read Judges or 1 and 2 Kings, I mean, you can start back in Genesis and you only need to get in a couple of chapters before you start seeing people making all sorts of terrible mistakes, despite them being called the people of God. Um, and I think that's unusual for, for a historical account. We usually try to write what's good about all the good things we've done, right? And we kind of played out, that was a bad year, and then I did all these amazing things the next year. Um, and so I used to think, with a good dose of anti-Semitism, I think, that, that the Jews were really sucky at being the people of God. Uh, and, uh, and they were. Um, but I, now I appreciate their honesty because it helps me realise how sucky I am and how sucky we are at being the people of God. And that since there has ever been a people of God, that's been a big part of the narrative. One part of the narrative has been, we're sucky at being the people of God, and the other side of the narrative is that God's steadfast love endures forever. Uh, and I love the way that those two things come together uh, in Psalm 136. Um, I think it's incredible that the songwriter was able to reflect on Israel's history, all of its lumpy bits, record them all, but yet still through that be able to say, God's steadfast love endured forever towards us. Um, and that's my hope, I suppose. I hope that you're encouraged by the songwriter's ability to do that, 
um, as we kind of draw to the close of this year, it's always a time of reflecting back on what happened and, and how, yeah, what's moved, what hasn't moved, what, what, what were our hopes and which bits survived that and which bits didn't and that sort of stuff. Um, you probably have some highlights, some things that you really enjoyed and, and, and are really stoked about, some epic failures probably, and probably a few moments that you wish you could kind of erase and, or, or, or redo. But I want to encourage you to hear that refrain of Psalm 136 through your story this past year or maybe through your life more broadly. Um, have that as a soundtrack to this year. Um, I thought it would be a great exercise. We won't do it now, but I think it would be a beautiful exercise some year, maybe next year, to, <coughs> to just, as a, as a church, take turns at yelling out stuff that happened this year. Uh, highlights, regrettable things. And after each, for the, for the rest of us to reply with a chorus of His steadfast love endures forever. I think that would be uh, a beautiful thing because that's the filter through which we need to review our lives. Um, <coughs> it's got to be, um, that's got to be kind of, yeah, the, the, the soundtrack to our lives. Um, and, and I'd love to think more about how we could do that generally. Uh, like Paul said, confess your sins to one another, and that's a great exercise to do. Can we somehow incorporate that into it? Um, I don't know, um, but I'm sure that the, the creators among us could could um, mull it over and find a dozen impractical, highly expensive, kind of, but genius ways of, of kind of bringing that more as the refrain of our, of our lives and the way that we do things. Because um, I do think we need to hear that refrain as the story, or sorry, through the story of our lives. Um, and not, not in an abstract kind of intellectual um, or theoretical way, but in a very grounded and practical and real way. Um, it's important that it's not just sort of a mantra that we say to ourselves or to each other, but that it actually, we actually kind of allow it to seep and down deep into the kind of marrow in our bones. Um, have it as that filter through which we view life, that it shapes um, our life, our choices, the way we do life, our relationships with each other, our relationships with creation. Um, in this time of Advent, in this tension time of here, not yet. Um, and so I want to reflect on that for a bit before I... Um, um, so feel, feel free to flick over to John's, John's three letters at the back of your Bible, if you want. I don't expect you to read it, it just looks good if you have your Bibles open. Um, when someone's teaching, it looks really serious when it's teaching. Um, <coughs> but John's three letters are packed full of statements about God's love, um, about God being love and about love being from God. Um, in chapter 4, verse, verse 19, in, in that first letter, he says, we love because God first loved us. Uh, and the Hosea passage that, that Shirley read, um, read out this morning reflects on that as well, that, that God coming, um, and the story of Hosea is amazing, um, but, but of God coming to a wife who's completely abandoned him, uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't beat her up, he doesn't um, say, he doesn't wave a contract kind of in front of, his, in front of her face and go, you have to love me because... He says, no, like, I will allure, I will allure her, like, I'll, I'll woo her and, and bring her in, and, and then she will respond as, as in the days of her youth. Um, and I think that's profound on a, on a number of levels. Um, but I think, I hope it reminds us that if we're going to love well in our own lives, um, we've got to start with reflecting on God's love for us. Um, if we want to love through the gritty and the mundane and the ugly and the confronting bits of our lives, um, then we have to, like Psalm 136, be able to see God's steadfast love towards us through those moments as well, not just through the highlights and the fun bits. 
Because if in practice, if we believe um, or we can only see God's love towards us uh, when we're doing good moral things, we'll probably love along those kinds of lines as well. We'll probably only love when, we'll probably only love people when they're doing good moral things. Um, if, if, if in practice we believe or we, or we can only see God's love for us uh, when we're kind of improving or doing well or succeeding um, or, in, or achieving, then more than likely we will probably only love people um, when things are improving and succeeding and moving forward. Um, there's a direct correlation between our understanding of God's love for us and the way in which we then go out and love creation and the folks around us. And if we're able to look in the mirror of how, how we love others, we'll probably get a picture of our understanding of, of God's love for us. I mean, that's what John, that's what John bangs on about in those three short letters. Um, that's what James talks about when he says, look at my life and you'll see what I believe about God. Um, that's what was going on in that parable that Jesus talked about when he said, when he talked about the, the guy who had been forgiven this massive debt uh, and, then, and then went out and choked someone for five bucks, um, someone who owed him five dollars. Um, he had forgotten the grace that he had been given um, and so he was unable to extend even a small portion of that grace um, to someone else. Um, and, and so in John chapter 13, Jesus said, in the same way that I've loved you, go and love each other. Uh, people will know that you're with me when they see and experience you loving them in the same way that I love you. Um, in the first of, uh, of John's three letters that you've got your Bibles open to, um, he, he says that on repeat. Uh, you can figure out whether people are of God by the way they love their brothers and sisters. 1 John 3 verse 10. Love is from God. Everyone who loves uh, is born of God and knows God, 1 John 4, 7. If you don't love folks, you don't know God because love is from God. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I mean, I could basically read you out the whole of 1 John, uh, and it's just that on repeat. It's, it's like the, the New Testament version of Psalm 136. Um, so there's a direct correlation there. Those who understand something of God's incredible love for them are then able to go out and empowered and able to love with an incredible, uh, steadfast and enduring love to the, to the people around them and to creation. But if that's the case, there's some pretty sort of dangerous implications or difficult implications in there. I mean, because if you look at God's way of loving, it's not the cruisiest or the easiest ways of loving. I mean, he, he, he's good at picking the losers. Um, he kind of tends to set his heart on the likes of Abraham um, who, if you read Israel's story a little bit later on, it says, you know, Moses, w I mean, Abraham was off worshipping all sorts of gods uh, when God came to him. And not only that, he was, he was childless, which in his culture meant he was, he was a nobody, and not just a nobody, but he was cursed by God. He chose Israel, who was this bunch of, literally a bunch of slaves. Um, he chose David, Rahab, Mary. Um, <coughs> and so God's love kind of um, saw Jesus pick backwards Na Nazareth over religiously significant Jerusalem, um, which is where a, a good stately king kind of would have rolled up. I saw him, if you read Luke's travelogue, um, spend most of his time in Galilee mixing with, uh, with the lowlifes and the disfigured, the, the demon-possessed and the messed up, um, prompting the question a number of times, why does he eat with the losers in our society? This is the Jesus who said, love as I've loved you. It's that kind of love that, that threatened the, the religious elites in his day. 
the pastors and the theologians um, to the point where they decided the only thing that they could do was take him out, basically, kill him. Um, it was that kind of love that undermined their authority and power and it threatened to topple them without a political coup or, 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 or brute force, which was the only two ways that they had ever operated. And so they came unstuck. He, he completely under, undermined that. Um, and so there was nothing that they could do to stop it. Um, it's that kind of love that, that, that let them come with swords and spears to arrest him and kill him and enable Jesus to heal one of the people who was going to kill him in that moment. It's that kind of love that held him on the cross, um, despite the, the immense suffering that he went through and his ability to bail at any point in that. Um, I think sometimes we sentimentalise the cross and make it this cute thing when it was a, a tool of torture. Uh, and Jesus willingly went on that, and it's his love that held him there. It's that kind of love that saw him crucified outside the city um, gates as a sign to anyone else who was thinking about living life the same way, um, who was thinking about considering going against the modus operatus of the day, who was considering following in this man's footsteps. And this is the Jesus we follow. This is the Jesus who said, pick up your cross and follow me. He said, love as I love, take the narrow path to life, love your enemies. That's a dangerous, risky, uh, difficult kind of loving, isn't it? I think. It's no easy street. There's a Sri Lankan theologian. It's interesting how we only ever talk about, we put the country in front of the theologian if it's not a Western country. <coughs> Anyways, there's a Sri Lankan theologian called Vinoth Ramachandra, who I really love, who's really prophetic in his kind of, uh, his critique of Western tendencies and Western thought. And just last week he posted on his blog, he said, to fail to love, especially those who are different to us, how, how often do we limit our love to just people who are the same as us? Um, to fail to love, especially those who are different to us, is not to be fully alive. But to love truly and deeply will lead to death. If you cannot love, you remain imprisoned in yourself. But if you do love, you will probably be seen as a threat to the structures of domination in your society, and you will be killed or you'll be kicked out of your church. Um, <laughs> and this is someone who's been kicked out of his church. Um, Sometimes I wonder if our fear of loving others, the way that Jesus loved others, is part of the reason why our faith has so little traction uh, in the Australian context, in our, in our current climate. I've had atheists point out to me, there's really no, Jesus doesn't seem to make that much difference to these guys. Um, and that's a fair point. In fact, Jesus even made that point when he said, um, if you love those who love you back, what credit is it to you? Uh, even sinners love those who love them, in, in Luke chapter 6. I think... In my opinion, the Christian community in Australia, we're not renowned for our radical love, I don't think. Um, we're not known for being identified with the social outcasts and standing with them, um, the modern Samaritans and the, and the Galileans. We don't tend to get caught out eating with the tax collectors and sinners of today because we just don't hang out with them. We avoid them. We do our best to avoid them. Most days, our love looks just like anyone else's, I think. It's fickle. Um, we just give affection to people who will return it to us. Um, it's pretty short-lived, it's short-tempered. If you do me over too many times, I'm gone. Um, we just love those who will kind of improve our lot or they can kind of get us up the next rung or that sort of thing. Um, but yet love is our fundamental identity as followers of Jesus. Like that's the pinnacle of the law, of the Old Testament law. Um, and Jesus carried that forward and said, if you're going to do anything, love as I've loved you. That was kind of the pinnacle of what it means to follow him. Paul said if we attempt anything without love, we're about as annoying as someone standing there with a triangle 
for hours on end. Um, and so Jesus invites us to fully enter his embrace that we can too then open our, our arms to the refugee, to the Muslim, to the homeless, the disfigured and the, and the disabled, the mentally ill, the, the LGBTQI community. I mean, normally our response to them is not loving, I don't think. Um, I've not seen that much embrace there. Um, prisoners, addicts, folks like us, each other, who, who do each other over, and we, but we tend to, often we tend to avoid each other or we'll just hang out with the folks who are like us. Um, but when, we're, when we fully enter Jesus' embrace, we're then enabled to embrace whoever with, that same, with a measure of that same steadfast, immovable love. And then we're also able to, 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 um, to embrace people who think and act differently to us, um, people who tick us off, who we don't really want to be associated with. For me, that's the Pauline Hansons and the Donald Trumps and billionaires and, and managers of big corporations. Um, let's consider how we might encourage one another towards love and good deeds towards these people, um, starting with Jesus as our example and how he's treated us with unconditional, steadfast love, and then contextualizing that and wrestling with that in each situation because we're in the here, not yet, and it's messy and it's hard to do that. It is hard. We'll regularly get it wrong. And it will probably mean death to our personal goals and finances on a regular basis. Um, but at the same time, I think we'll also never be more alive. Um, I, I hope that you know, as I do, that um, what beauty and hope and joy lies in the giving and receiving of unconditional love. And I hope that you've tasted that, um, experienced that on both ends. Because um, there's incredible beauty there and incredible hope and joy when, when we get a taste of that. The reconciling embrace of a relationship that was wronged years ago um, or recently. Um, the tending, I think even the tending of a garden or a plant rather than <laughs> trying to kill the thing that's around us. Um, the purchase of a lifestyle choice that's good for others or good for the environment. Um, these things, helping someone, caring for someone, um, giving a gift, being helped, receiving a gift. There's great beauty in that. Uh, and I hope that you have experienced that. Because um, that's a taste um, in the here, not yet. Um, it's difficult as anything to love unconditionally. Um, it's paradoxical. It's never clear cut in the here, not yet. That's, that's why we call it the Advent, the tension times. So. Um, but we will find deep joy uh, and lasting peace and, uh, and all that incredible hope. All the things that we're searching for, we'll find it in those moments of unconditional love. Not in the easy, cheap, fickle love. We won't find it there. We get a, um, it's only when, when it's that stead, a measure of that steadfast, unconditional love. So keep asking ourselves um, and those around us, and you guys do that to me, Church Rio Mob. Um, Keep asking us how we're doing that. How, how's that working out? What does that look like? Um, you know, open up about difficult relationships and, and seek guidance on how to restore those. Um, that's going to look different in every situation. But we've got to keep asking ourselves those difficult questions about what it looks like to love as God loves us um, in the in-between times, in the here, not yet. Um, and, and remind one another of those glimpses um, and celebrate them together put a fire under them and have a party over them. Um, blow them up, make a big deal out of them, celebrate them, relish the beauty, because um, that also drives our hunger as we get a taste for life as it's meant to be under God. Because that's God's desire and his plan for us in the long run, is for that to not just be little glimpses and tastes here and there, but for that to be completely and utterly kind of consuming everything. Um, 
Ramachandra said that loving like Jesus did will likely get us killed. Um, proverbially, proverbially, for some of us, um, physically for the likes of Martin Luther King and those kind of guys. Um, but remember that it's also God's love that raised Jesus from the dead. Um, because death and hatred and violence can't keep love down for more than a, than a few days. Um, each day um, of messy attempts, and they are messy, but keep doing them, um, brings us one day closer to the day when God's love will fully permeate the created order and think life will be as it's meant to be. And there won't just be glimpses, but we'll taste that all the time in everything. Um, when God's way of loving will be the norm rather than the exception. Um, where all relationships are put right, relationships with each other, with God, with ourselves, with creation. Um, so don't give up. Keep considering how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's imperative that we keep doing that and that it's not just a once-in-a-year event kind of thing. Um, remain persistent in your love as God remains persistent in his love towards you and know deep down in your belly uh, that God loves you with a steadfast and unconditional, immovable, eternal love despite all those weak attempts and whether they worked or didn't work or whatever work means. God delights in you and everyone around you. Uh, he loves us all to bits, never gives up on us would give and did give his life for us. And so let's go um, with a reckless abandon, with a measure of the love that we've been loved and continue to join in God's reconciling love for the, for the entire created order this week. Can I pray for us real quick? Yeah, God, your, um, your love really is incredible when we take the time to stop and reflect on it. And I'm sorry for the times when I rush into a day without reflecting on that, Lord. And, and I'm driven by, and we're driven by a whole bunch of things other than your love. And thank you that your grace covers those moments as well. And I, yeah, Spirit, we just ask that you would um, call us to account when we're not acting out of your love, when we're loving um, out of some other motive, Lord. Um, and I pray that you'd show us creatively how to love, um, give us courage and boldness to do that in situations that we tend to shy away from or that we tend to avoid. Um, but thank you for your love that it endures forever. Um, and the way that, that gives us hope, Lord, and I just pray that you would come quickly um, so that these tastes and glimmers that we get could become full and complete. Um, and we, we, we long for you and we wait for that with eager expectation, Lord. Um, help us to love as you've loved us, Lord. You're a good God. You're amazing. And we love you. Amen.